Well, we are singing, obviously, about the event of the cross and Christ's death on the cross. We're here to celebrate the Lord's table as well, which is looking at that same event. The death of Christ on the cross, that event has been called by some the great divide, at least as it relates to history. There's a reason for that, for calling the cross the death of Christ, the great divide, because all human history before the cross was really just leading up to that event, and all human history after the cross is looking back at it. The event at Calvary truly is the defining moment in God's redemptive plan, the plan that he formed in his own eternal mind before time ever began, his redemptive plan of saving sinners by His grace. That's the cross, the great divide. Not everybody sees it that way, of course. Not everybody thinks what we're doing here tonight is important. Not everybody loves singing songs about it, celebrating the Lord's table, etc. And that's because not all people, though all are created by the same God, not all people are true followers of the Lord. They're not true worshipers of God. I'm not saying they're not worshipers. Every person is a worshiper. Every person is religious. Every person is worshiping something that's built into us. It's just that those who don't know Christ and those who don't truly love Christ are worshipers in a false religion. I want to just briefly mention what are some of the tenets of a false religion. First of all, a false religion is one that may believe in God, but it's a different God than what the Bible talks about. They believe in a God that's without wrath of any kind, without anger against sin. The problem is, though, when God's law is violated, his eternal moral law, his response to that violation, to that transgression, that trespass, that sin, is wrath. That's what Scripture teaches, but many don't like that idea, so they get rid of that as a characteristic of God. They minimize the idea of the wrath of God because they believe it doesn't fit well or it's in conflict with God's love. They prefer to think of God only that way, so you're talking about a God that they've designed themselves that they like. But divine wrath is clearly taught in God's word. It's clearly taught in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Isaiah 30 verse 27 uses language like this. It talks about God burning with his anger. Isaiah 30 even mentions the idea of of God having lips full of fury. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul warns with these words in Romans chapter 2. He says that those who practice unrighteousness, sin against God's law, sin in thought, sin in motive, sin in action, sin in words, sin by doing what we shouldn't, sin by not doing what we should, doesn't matter. Paul warns in Romans 2 that those who practice unrighteousness, sin, he says this, are storing up wrath 
for themselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Worshippers that are part of a false religion are still worshipers and they're still religious. It's just not the God of the Bible. It's a God without wrath. Second, a false religion believes in people existing without sin. As I said, sin is failure to obey God's moral law, but Scripture presses on that and says, if you disobey one aspect of God's law, you're guilty of disobeying all of it. God's standard for obedience is perfect obedience, perfection in thought and motive and word and deed. Sin is the failure to perfectly obey God's law. But people don't want to think about sin like that. They like the idea of people being without sin. They would see themselves just defining their failures a different way, not calling it sin. They'd rather say that they made a mistake or that they made a poor judgment. In other words, at the very core of who they are, they really believe themselves to be essentially and basically good people. But Scripture says this in Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says this in Romans, that the wages of sin is death. So false belief systems and the worshipers that are part of those systems always then minimize sin. They downplay it. They don't really see that all humans are born sinners and totally depraved and totally unable to solve that problem. If you just think of it as mistakes or poor judgments, then you can do a better job. You can turn over a new leaf. You can clean yourself up. That's a tenet of false religion. It downplays sin. It sees people as being without sin. One more tenet of false religion, at least one more, believes in a death, but death without judgment. We're going to die. I don't think they would deny that. But they reject the biblical view that God is this divine judge who must judge sin someday. They think of God more as just a grandfather type. And so he's he's there waiting at the end, but he's, he's sure to see the good in people. He'll be gracious to them in the end. If there is some sort of judgment at the end, which they really don't like that idea, but if there is judgment... Well, it's punishment for all those really bad people. You know, Hitler. People like that. Intolerant people. Narrow-minded bigots. It's for people like that. But normal people like them? Surely God's not a God of judgment. But this wrong thinking doesn't really change again. It doesn't change the reality of what Scripture says. Acts 17, verse 31. God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Romans 2.16, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. There will be a day of judgment. And on that day, people must stand before God. And he's the one before whom all hearts are open. All desires are known by the omniscient God. False religion believes in a death without judgment and And a false religion will believe in Christ, but it's a Christ without a cross. 
You see, people like actually the idea of Jesus. Many people do. As long as you think of him as a, a gentle, just a gentle, loving man. I mean, after all, he's the one who invites children to come sit on his lap. He's a shepherd. He cares for his sheep. He, he's always just there when we need him. He's there to meet our needs. He's a, he's a great teacher. He's a good role model. I've even heard people say, Jesus is my life coach. But a Jesus who's actually God, a Jesus who had to die on a cross in order to satisfy God's wrath so that those who believe that saved sinners could avoid the judgment, just not that kind of Christ. Not a Christ whose death on a cross was necessary to satisfy, to appease God's wrath because God is a God of love. He loves all people. It is true, God is a God of love. Scripture even says God is love. But that doesn't change the fact that for true love, divine love, holy love to be expressed and fulfilled in the salvation of sinners, the sin problem has to be dealt with. God must judge sin. Someone has to pay for the sin. And that's what Christ did. He took the sin of his people upon himself so that they could then know God's love and not his wrath and not his judgment. So in summary, when we sing about the cross and we, we're, we love the idea of the cross and we're so grateful for the cross, it's because for God's people in the death of Christ, we, we have something because of all that. We have what the Bible calls redemption. Ephesians 1 verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have propitiation, Scripture says. That's a a fancy theological word, but it's actually in four different verses in the New Testament, propitiation. It just means to satisfy something. Propitiation in the cross means that God's holy wrath against the sin was satisfied by what Jesus did. When Christ was on the cross, all the sin of his people placed upon him, like I said, so that God's wrath against their sin, his people, his followers, true worshipers, their sin was appeased. We read it earlier in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. We have redemption. We have propitiation. We have reconciliation. See, when God created the first man and woman, they existed in a, a perfect friendship with God, their creator, but then they rebelled against him and they sinned. And from that moment on, every person born is born a sinner with a propensity, a bent to, to disobey and to go their own way. And God doesn't, doesn't just call them sinners. Scripture says he regards them as his enemies. No longer in a loving friendship relationship with him. So there's a need for reconciliation, but for reconciliation to occur, the cause of the enmity, the separation must be removed, and that's the sin. Sin has to be taken away. Christ accomplished that in his death, taking the sin away, canceling the sin for his followers so that we have redemption and propitiation and reconciliation. 
Reconciliation is a wonderful word. To be reconciled with the God who created us, Paul writes in Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Just wrap all that up in perhaps the most wonderful word, and that's forgiveness. Because of the cross, we can be forgiven. And that's our only hope. We can never do enough good deeds to solve our sin problem that separates us from God and and brings wrath and judgment. Our only hope is to be forgiven. And God loves to graciously and mercifully forgive repentant, believing sinners. So we sing about that tonight. We think about it. And, And the Lord's table that we're going to observe here is a dramatic presentation of all that truth about the cross. It's a drama, if you will. So when we participate in this, we're acknowledging then that we understand all that and we're acknowledging that that's what we needed, forgiveness as our only hope, and that that forgiveness was accomplished in Christ at the cross through his death to pay for sin. We're acknowledging that when we participate in it. And we're even acknowledging that we have ongoing struggles with sins in this fallen world. And so we have this ongoing need for Christ's death, his once-for-all payment for sin, to keep covering the sin of his people, which it does. So if you have come to understand all that, and you have humbly admitted that you must be saved from your sin, if you have put your trust in Christ alone and his work on the cross to pay for sin, then you're welcome to observe this table and participate in the Lord's Supper. But if you love your sin more than you love Christ, if you love your definitions of God and people more than you love Scripture's definitions, if you love your views above the Bible, if you love living by your own power every day to figure things out, then the table is not really for you because you're not in Christ. Because your sins are not covered by the blood that the cup represents in this table. And you're not clothed in his righteousness. And one day you will have to meet God and be judged by the very one you have spurned. But it's not that day yet. You're here and you're alive. The Bible speaks of the day that we live in as the day of God's grace. Jesus is still being preached tonight through the songs and through the word and through this drama. He's still being proclaimed as the Savior that you can trust in for the forgiveness of your sin. So if you're not in Christ, then in your own heart before him, come to him in humble, submissive, repentant trust, asking him to be merciful to you, a sinner, and forgive you of your sin. Let's bow our heads together as we prepare our hearts to observe the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful music that we've been able to listen to and participate in and for the for the words that are being expressed through that music the 
the, the, the scriptural doctrine and theology about the Savior and about sin and about our, our need for forgiveness and about Christ being the only way to be saved, about Christ being the eternal God. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to do all that. But Lord, I pray that even now as we observe the elements of the Lord's table that we would think about it even more deeply and be grateful in our hearts for what you've done for us. You forgiving our sin, our only hope, because the body of Christ was given on our behalf, because the blood of Christ was shed on our behalf so that we could be saved. So Lord, make it meaningful in our hearts, and I certainly do pray for anyone here who can't say, I'm a true worshiper of Christ, I love Christ, I love his word, I love his people. Lord, open their hearts to truly believe tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the men are going to pass the elements of the Lord's table, and it's a little stack of two cups. So take a stack of the stack of the two cups. In the bottom cup is the little wafer that represents the body of Christ, and the top there is the the juice that represents the blood of Christ. So just hold on to those. We'll observe them together in just a moment. It'll take a few moments to pass all that out. So when the plate comes by, just grab a a stack of that cups. And if if you are not uh, free to observe the table, then just pass it by and, and observe and think about what it all means. And while they do that, and while you hold on to that, we'll sing a song together. Kyle will lead us.